Uh, let's bring it down to Harlan Ullman. He is the author of The Fifth Horseman and the New Mad, How Massive Attacks of Disruption Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation, World at Large. Lots of happening. When I need to know information, I call on Dr. Harlan Ullman. And nice enough to give us a couple of minutes here on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> Sir, how are you? Jay, good to be with you again. Look at certain events around our world these days. What's happening in China, the protests, the the holding up of the blank pieces of paper, white pieces of paper, as far as protesters uh, against the Xi regime. I look what's happening in Iran with the protesters of the soccer team there, uh, as far as not mouthing the words of the national anthem, all in protest of an event that happened there. Uh, as well. Are we seeing a change of course as far as showing emotion, as far as our communities are concerned, in and around the world are concerned? I mean, is it, is it something that has now turned the corner in some aspect of this? Uh, Jay, uh, with great regret, the answer to your question is no. Um, I have in my book, The Fifth Horseman, three chapters on China and Russia. We'll take China first. What people don't understand, and our failure to understand and have sufficient knowledge about others has always put us in trouble. Every year in China, there are at least 100,000 major riots. The major purpose and aim of the Communist Party of China is to maintain stability. That means no peasant revolutions. That means no riots. And so what you're seeing in China while it is seemingly unique to the outside world because we're not close observers, is really not new. But it does reflect, I think, a profound change in the leadership of China and President Xi. Uh, President Xi is imposing what I call a reverse Gorbachev. Your listeners will recall that when Mikhail Gorbachev became General Secretary of the Soviet Union in 1984-85, He knew that the system was brittle and was not working. So he imposed glasnost and perestroika, openness and restructuring. And by opening up the Soviet Union, he destroyed it. She is doing the opposite. He is closing China down. He has gotten a third term unprecedented as president of China. And through the party and other cadres, he's imposing great clampdowns. The COVID clampdown is just one of them. And what he is doing is is choking off the entrepreneurial and capitalist spirit in China, which enabled it to have double-digit economic growth. And over time, these may be the seeds of his own self-destruction. We'll see what happens. But I think for the long term, this policy that Xi has imposed is going to hurt China. What that means in terms of future leadership is difficult to say. But right now, I'm afraid while the riots and protests will continue, similarly in Iran, the leadership in those countries is too powerful. They have secret police. And so those riots, I think, are going to be put down. But they do indicate some profound weaknesses in those societies, such as in the Soviet Union, that over the long term, suggest unless they change course, they are in huge trouble. Because we haven't really seen this out of communist China as far as these protesters. They don't want dictatorship. They want <laughs> democracy and it seems no, that not, way that's, that's of not, the iranian soccer team as well who have expressed no, Jay, rebellion as far as policy you bring up russia as far as the practices there of people not wanting to go to war against ukraine 
thus kind of halting their activities from joining the Russian army. We haven't seen these practices in quite some time. Well, actually, that's not true. In fact, what the Chinese people want is decency, respectability, and the ability to make an income. And so this whole notion of democracy is misplaced. Iran is a different situation because there was democracy. There's never been really democracy in China, similarly in Russia. But people want to be respected. They want some degree of dignity. And that, to me, is the larger issue. And simply because we haven't seen these riots in China before, it doesn't, make, doesn't mean they haven't existed. As I said, every year, there are probably over 100,000 of these riots. We just have not been watching. watching. But to make a parallel point, remember in 2020 when we had Black Lives Matter and the huge riots that broke out nationwide over the George Floyd murder, how did foreigners view the United States as coming apart? So the argument I would make, or at least the observation I'd make, Jay, that <clears throat> these things are not, are not unique only to dictatorships and autocracies. They occur in many, 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 many countries. But the point of fact is that the longer-term consequences of what President Xi is doing in China, it seems to me, will be his undoing. But that's not going to happen tomorrow or the next day or even the next couple of years. As demonstrative, as far as what we've seen, holding up blank pieces of paper, as far as expression, not being allowed to express, thus the blankness of it all. Have we seen that at all? Yes, of course. Tiananmen Square, 18, uh, 1989, when there were huge revolts. Remember that, uh, the Chinamen who confronted the uh, Chinese tank? So these have happened before. But the government, autocracies, have control of the secret police of the party cadres to impose discipline. And so I think what, as I argued, the long-term consequences for China is that Xi is choking off its economic vitality over the long term that will do him in. But I think we can exaggerate the consequences of these short-term rallies. Remember, in Iran, uh, we had the same thing several years ago with these protests, which the Obama administration never really followed up on. And so um, these happen uh, because we think that they don't happen they, don't, they haven't happened before. They seem to be unique, but they are not. And as I said, in the case, certainly, of China, these suggest long-term weaknesses in the current policies of the government, and I think that's going to hurt China. But as I said, it's not going to hurt China immediately tomorrow or the next day. You know, and, and the thing is, I mean, is it is it about obsession? Is it about totalitarian rule and dictatorship is what fuels individuals like G? No, uh, absolutely not. You're running a country of 1.3 billion people that's largely ungovernable. You have an underclass of three or 400 million people. Um, <laughs> how do you manage that? And, and by the way, in a series of three columns last week, this week, and next week, I've argued, I will argue, that the greatest threat facing President Biden, Xi, and Putin are domestic. China, because of Xi's uh, reverse Gorbachev position, Putin, because he's putting all the trappings of the Soviet management system in place without the means to be able to discipline, and Joe Biden, because the president faces an American society that's broken. It's domestic realities here that I think are the most important and critical issues that have to be overcome. They're different, obviously, in these countries. But when you get down to it, it's less overseas threats and more threats of massive attacks of disruption, as I note in my book, Acts of Nature. Uh, the Colorado River is now a creek. Uh, 
it's clear to see how all these things are impacting. But quite frankly, the largest problems we have are at home, and it's really up to the government to be able to work and be able to do things to make life better for America. And quite frankly, as I note in my book, as you know, Jay, the biggest disruptor we have is failed and failing government, respective of whether Republicans or Democrats are in charge. And I think that the 118th Congress, now that it's divided, is going to make governing that much more difficult. Uh, to Holland Ullman, you know, you, you go back, what, a month, month and a half ago? Gee, you know, it seemed like he was the invincible dictator. You know, he won his, what, third term as general secretary of the CCP, pretty much sets himself up to be the leader forever, pretty much. But you look at some of these policies and everything else, that's put a lot of things in doubt right now. You know, total control of the country, worst challenge in a long time as far as what's going on here. And never mind regarding the economy there, whose growth has somewhat been slowed. Uh, Factories keep shutting down and everything else. You know, I mean, it it seems like there is a, a major dent as far as the armor of Chi is concerned here. Well, I agree with you. That's what I've been saying. But the point here is we shouldn't use terms like dictatorship because there's really virtually no country that's an absolute dictatorship. Xi has got constraints. He's got a political bureau and a, and a central committee. And quite frankly, he does not know who his opposition is likely to be. And believe me, there is opposition there. We have to understand that these are autocracies. They're controlled by a small elite group of people. But the fact of the matter is that the notion of a dictatorship is, is, is misplaced in my judgment. But on the other hand, here's a country of 1.3 billion people. How do you manage it? How do you manage it? And I don't think democracy really would work in that country. We're having a hard time proving it works in this country. But in any event, you're absolutely right. And as I said, by this reverse Gorbachev, I'm afraid for China, President Xi has put in place the means to kill the golden goose that lays the golden eggs. And over the long term, this is going to lead to, I think, profound change in China. What that means, who knows? But I think we have to realize that the danger from China is more, as I've argued in my book, more one of implosion than it is an invasion of Taiwan, because quite frankly, the Chinese military does not have the capability of a Normandy-style invasion of China. I will disagree with you on the aspect of when you impose these harsh-type lockdowns on a helpless public and you're barring people of entire neighborhoods, even whole cities, from leaving their homes. I mean, let's face it. Reading some 70 cities facing lockdown restrictions at the moment. I mean, you look at Beijing itself has been reportedly coming to a, to a new near halt here. That, to me, is that of a dictatorship, in essence. And I understand the magnitude of COVID and everything else, you know, as far as the 25,000 or so cases a day being reported there. But this guy is obsessed, in my estimation, and that of showing the superiority of his rule, which is that of totalitarian in nature. You know, these... Excessive shutdowns uh, of any area where COVID pops up are keeping his country safe more, far more so than other free nations that have been able to manage it. I just think that there is something nefarious 
has been going on for quite some time. And now Xi's getting a little touch of his own medicine. Well, look, I think, Jay, here, countries will endure, uh, endure what they have to endure uh, to resolve an issue. And the case in China is that the leadership the leadership has, has decreed that the only way they're going to be able to deal with COVID is what they are doing. How long can they keep it up? We will see. But every country has to endure or does endure these kinds of restrictions. Uh, during World War II, we had strict rations. Everybody understood it. It was not a big deal. Now, the question in China, as I said, is how does this work out? Because it also has secondary and tertiary effects. One of the reasons why the stock market lost some 550 points yesterday was because of the Chinese economy. Now, if we are smart, and that's a big supposition, we ought to understand that we need to be able to insulate ourselves from some of these shocks. And right now, the administration has $1.7 trillion to be able to administer in three different bills that were approved by Congress in terms of the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, but more importantly, the Chips and Science Act uh, and the Infrastructure and Science Act. And so these give the administration and the country an opportunity to rebuild its infrastructure and take steps to insulate ourselves. Whether we will make good use of that remains to be seen, and I think the future of the Biden administration, what happens in 2024, will be very dependent on how well or how badly the administration administers this nearly $2 trillion. And my column tomorrow in UPI goes into great detail about this particular opportunity we have. Last thing with Dr. Holland Allman, you know, to me it's a must-watch today uh, in the world of sport, and that is the World Cup. Fascinating dynamic here between the U.S. of A. and Iran. Uh, And, you know, you look at the stage of the tournament, the national team, the U.S. team has to win or they'll be eliminated. But to me, it's also a match charged with a lot of tensions here, Holland. A lot of political tensions. Two countries, no real formal diplomatic relations in over 40 years. And this, of course, you know, the state media in Iran calling for the U.S. to be kicked out of the World Cup. We know about the flag. You know, the U.S. uh, sock changed Iran's flag in a social media account showing support for the protesters. I mean, you know, and I said this earlier on the program, you know, sport is almost an elixir so to speak, as far as world events, when you have two countries going at it, uh, as different as they are, the tensions over the years, missiles, you name it, uh, as far as, you know, just lives going on in general here. You couldn't have a more incredible dynamic than what will happen this afternoon in Qatar. Well, that should remind you some nearly uh, 35 years ago, ping-pong diplomacy between the United States and China. Uh, during the Nixon administration, to relieve the uh, improve the relationship. But you're absolutely right. Look, the government in Iran is a travesty, and I hope that they pick the fight that they can't win against the Iranian women. Uh, one hopes, and it's all we can do is say hopes, because Iran does have a democratic experience to it, and Iran is a great country, and Persians are is a, is a, is a great culture. And, and quite frankly, the whole Iranian regime right now with the Ayatollah is a, is, is, is a catastrophe. Uh, whether or not that's going to change remains to be seen, but I agree with you. It's something that needs to be done. And I applaud the Iranian team because uh, they oppose their administration, understandably. And I gather that one of the players was arrested by the Iranian police. Uh, whether or not the Qatari government will allow that to stand remains to be seen. But you're right. 
There are a number of governments that are just despicable. Unfortunately, there's very, very little that we can do in most circumstances except to watch, but to make sure, and this is the big takeaway, Jay, in my book, as long as we have an America that's safe, secure, and prosperous, we will be all right. That has to be our top priority. That doesn't mean we can ignore these international issues or um, attacks of massive disruption because they can be equally severe and equally damaging. But we have a great advantage if and only if we can make our government work. And still, and the overall accentuating point through all of this uh, over the hundreds and hundreds of years as far as what America stands for, and that is retribution to countries as that such of Iran and China and that of Putin's Russia as well. A fascinating watch, 2 o'clock in Qatar this afternoon. And speaking of the book, I recommend it highly, The Fifth Horseman and The New Mad, How Massive Attacks of This Russian Became the Looming Existential Danger to a Divided Nation and the World at Large. Dr. Harlan Ullman. Until next time, sir. Sir, you stay well. I hope so soon. Thank you. Have a good holiday.